Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians over the last 48 years. My guest today is the brilliant comedian Mark Olver. Yeah! <laughs> hello, mate. I, uh, hello, such enthusiasm for a Sunday morning. I love it. <laughs> How are you doing? You all right? I'm all right, thank you. I'm a little bit confused. So we're recording this when the clocks go back. So yes. I never know. I never know how I should feel at this time. So what is it? It's 11 a.m., but it's really 12 a.m. Although, it, Or is it 12 a.m., but it's really 11 a.m.? I don't know. I always get confused where my head is meant to be on these days. Um, I'm here. I'm talking to you. Nothing could be better. I'm delighted you're here, my friend. We're going we're gonna to talk about your comedy career. It's going to be going to the interview is going to last about 45 minutes to an hour. And I'll tell you I, what, can I um can I get an extra five minutes on top of that? You can does, you can talk for as long as you like, my friend. Does anyone yeah. ever ask you about your life? Well, you can do. <laughs> we can do at the end. There's no problem at all. I want to do it now. Let's do, do it now, now. then. Go what, ahead. Uh, <laughs> what do you do for a living? Or what did you used to do? Do you well, still work? Yeah, my my job my job. I worked in the civil service for seventeen years, and then I worked in a school for eleven on the reception. And I used to entertain the teachers going in with all the jokes I'd heard from all the comedians the night Amazing. before. <laughs> Amazing! And 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 since May this year, I've got a brand new job at uh, Wandsworth Council. I'm based at Southfields, and I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely flying. I I, uh, I I did eleven years at the school, and now um, I'm in this new job. And where country. are you from? My hometown, my home city is Carlisle, but I've been in London for half my life. Carlisle. Now Carlisle is one of those places. There aren't many places in the UK that I've not been to, <laughs> and I've been I've been up there, and I've been past it. I genuinely don't think I've ever done a gig in Carlisle, you know. It's one of the few places in the country that I don't think I've properly been to. Well, we've got to put that right in 2023. There's two main venues. One is the Sand Centre in the centre of town, which is about two or 3,000-seater theatre. And there's um, the old fire station where a lot of them go, a lot of the comedians go. I've seen The Noise Next Door and Mark Watson and Ian Sterling there, and they all seem to do that on the tours. So, do you know what? I am doing... Uh, I'm involved in the BBC New Comedy Awards, which right. maybe we'll talk about. Yeah. And um, hopefully doing that again next year. And we do the regional heats in places where telly doesn't normally go. And um, maybe well, I can try and convince them to go to Carlisle. That would be amazing, and I will do my best to be there. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that's on me. I'll, I'll make that. I'll try and make. I'll ask the questions today. Do please do. Is there is, is the there, people is there, with more power? <laughs> is is there anything else you'd like to ask me? Um, I want uh, no. I'm very nosy, so I want to know what's on your shelves. But apart from that, my shelf I'm, behind me is all my comedy books. 
So they, I read I read a load of uh, comedy biographies, and um, uh, um, I've got everybody here. Um, the on the photographs on the top. That's a play I wrote called The Applicant, which we'll talk about later. I've got a caricature from Cheers by Boston, which is my favorite American sitcom. And on the right-hand side is a picture of uh, the Eric Morecambe statue in Morecambe, because Morecambe and Wise are the reason why I this blog exists. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I have done my I have done my interviews. <laughs> I am I am I'm happy well, with all go. of the answers. <laughs> Well, now let's talk about the more important person, me. Me. <laughs> well, as I say, thank you so much. And we're going to go right back to the start of your career. And if you can tell me, please, how did you become a comedian in the first place? You know what? I think one of the reasons I was interested in asking about you is because I definitely see in you a comedy fan, obviously. And I got into comedy because I was a comedy fan. I got into comedy because I loved stand-up from a very young age and yeah. like right right from before realizing that stand up was a thing loving bob hope films on the telly and um lauren hardy and you know all those you used to find lots of black and white films on bbc2 on a saturday and sunday afternoon and then when i discovered that stand up was a thing and i remember getting a free tape uh with like a magazine it was like gq or yeah one of those magazines and you um, and listening to it and discovering Kevin Day and Mark Thomas, but also people like Bill Hicks, um, yeah. knowing that I loved Steve Martin's films, discovering he did stand up. So I loved stand up from a really young age. And then when I graduated from university, I wanted to know more about stand up and more about that world. And so decided that the best way to find out more about it was to do it. So um, in 1998, uh, so what's that, 24 years ago, uh, I went to a gig and, um, yeah, and, and actually 24 years ago, pretty much this week, I would say, end of October, beginning of November um, wow. 2022, um, I went to a gig and uh, watched it and then two weeks later did it. Can you remember who was on the bill? Um, I, do you know what? I don't actually. I tell you why, because the story, the most important part of the story, apart from me gigging, is uh, it's when I met Russell Howard. So me and Russ both turned up. Russell was 18. I was 22, 23. Yeah. And um, we both turned up at the same night to watch this fortnightly gig. Um, and then I put my name down for the next fortnight and Russ put his name down for the fortnight after. So I don't really remember much about the gig. I just remember meeting uh, meeting Russell and and, knew in, and knowing when I first met him that I'd have a friend for life. And then when I did my gig and then the fortnight after, watching him and instantly going, oh, well, you're, you're going to be famous and you're going to be brilliant. So, um, and and I knew that straight away, you know. Where where was the gig? It was a gig in a place called, it was called Virgin Murph. It was a fortnightly gig um, in Bristol on Park Street. 
The pub was called Le Chateau. I don't know what it's called. The Three Rams, maybe now. It might even be shut now, actually. Um, <laughs> and it was downstairs, and it was uh, run by a guy called Marek Trebedi. And there was a guy, probably Uncle Rob Coolwood, who is still going around. Uh, there was a guy called um, Andy McKelvey. Um, yeah. So wow. uh, I remember, uh, I remember, I remember, I remember lots of it, but I was so obsessed with kind of getting my first getting, stuff down started, that I don't yeah, really yeah. remember anyone else. Yeah. Um, um, and what a friend to have, Russell Howard. I mean, he, he is, he, I, I first saw him at the Edinburgh Fringe play a little tiny hut. And you could see there, it, 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 it was just so enthusiastic for the craft. So he must have been really good to know him then and work the way through the comedy together. Yeah, it was really interesting, actually, because he he was 18. He went to university and he knew he loved stand-up. Yeah. Um, and he loved Lee Evans and he loved Eddie Izzard. Yeah. I was more of a comedy geek at that point than Russell. So... I knew about Richard Pryor and Bill Hicks and, but even people like Mozart and Dick Gregory. And like, I was a proper obsessive for like fifties and sixties American standup. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Russell didn't really know much about those sorts of people. Um, I remember, I remember having a conversation, bear in mind that this is, you know, late nineties. So people didn't Google everything all of the time. Um, and I remember having a conversation with him uh, about Richard Pryor and him not really knowing who Richard yeah. Pryor was. But he was an eighteen-year-old boy, so you know why would he know who Richard Pryor was? You know, I was I was very lucky enough to see Bill Hicks in Manchester on tour, and he was incredible. He 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 walked on at midnight, and everybody was tired and you know because it was a late start show but i've never seen such everybody was so hooked as to what he was saying and he was absolutely hysterical and have I'm, you ever met uh have you ever met nick doody not on here no uh, i've seen him live but i've never met him no so uh nick supported bill hicks a couple of times oh, uh back in the day so uh right. yeah It'd be a good person to talk to about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I'll um, certainly uh, try and try and get him on the podcast. Um, I'm all. I'm also a massive Steve Martin fan. I like. I'm like you. I think. I think the first ten uh, films he did, the Carl Reiner ones, are just fantastic. And I got to see him with um, his bluegrass band. Oh, did you at the, at the Hammersmith Apollo? And half of it was music, and half of it was the zaniness which we yeah. crowd wanted well i'll tell you what if you want to describe what you can see when i move my camera oh wow you can... you've got the that's a photo of steve martin in his infamous costume on stage so that's the uh that's the wild and uh wild and crazy guy yeah cover and then just below that is bob newhart oh brilliant album. Brilliant. And then just above that is uh, an album, Mort Saul. Yeah, yeah, he's American comic. Um, uh, the Future Lies Ahead, and he's just standing outside at the Hungry Eye in San Francisco. That was good, a very famous comedy club. So there you go. So I I think I uh, 
I fit the Brit. So my my geek my comedy geek credentials are literally above me. And actually, above me here, yeah. I don't know if you can see that. That's a poster from an 1899 variety show, wow. uh, comedy variety show. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. That's amazing. My my first ever gig was, um, uh, I've, I'm, I was born in 1967. I'm, I'm 55. And my first gig was uh, Les Dawson in 1974 on a family holiday in Scarborough and he was just incredible I remember laughing at him but not really getting it because I was only seven but a year later I saw Tommy Cooper and I got the bug and and that was it I just started writing everything down all the gigs I ever went to and that's how the blog developed so uh, did you never think about you never wanted to do stand-up I've I've uh, I, I've told comedians this uh, story uh, over and over again I have had one uh, go at doing stand-up comedy. Um, I, uh, I knew a promoter years ago, and um, uh, uh, it was for a gong show for old folk. It couldn't be any worse set up. And um, uh, he said, I said, I want to get it out of my system because I see a lot of comedians. I, I, I can remember the jokes and everything. I want to try and get it out of my system and see if I can do this. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah. He said, no problem. He said, we can get you on for three minutes. And uh, I walked out. There was three old blokes in the crowd. That was it. I walked out and I went, good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen. Um, People think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And when I was at college, I was his double. And I thought, this is a failsafe. It's going to get laughs. And this old bloke just looked at me and went, Fuck off! <laughs> what an I come off? <laughs> and, the, and, and the promoter went, have another go, have another go. So I did it again. Same thing happened. And I thought, well, I thought, well, never say never again. But I think my uh, thing is going to be in the crowd, what supporting you all, and that's what I lovely. Happened. So, um, but uh, but 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 yeah, I have I have actually had a go, um, and and never say never again, as I said. So. Um, Please describe your first ever gig. Can you remember your first ever gig? I can, actually. I can remember it. I don't really remember the material that I did, uh, but I do remember what happened because um, it was kind of, for some people, slightly legendary in a very small (laughs) L for legendary. Um, it was the second time I'd met Russell. It was a fortnight after, and we went back to this gig. Um, we met up first. We had a little chat, and I'd remembered my five minutes perfectly. Um, and and because I like people like uh, Bill Hicks, I like the kind of I, – I thought I wanted to be an edgy comedian. I thought I wanted to be all kind of dangerous. and uh, I really like Sam Kinison and some of those guys oh, as well. Them. So I thought yeah. – I thought I'd be really edgy. And then, uh, and so I went on and some women in the audience took offence to what I was talking about and stood up and went, we find this incredibly offensive. Um, and then one of her friends stood up and started shouting at me. And then uh, Russell shouted from the back, it's comedy, it's meant to be offensive. And then they started shouting at him and some guys I knew, uh, and there's a guy called James Parker who 
um, is sort of the Bristol version of Jay of Richard Gill. He uh, <laughs> he goes to loads of gigs and um, and again, this was a while ago. Since then, he, he works in computer games, but he's also been, uh, you know, one of the judges on the Perrier. Where oh, yeah. you can uh, you can just be a punter and and get selected to be a judge. So he's done that. So he really knows his comedy. And this was when he was first starting getting into comedy. Um, and he was there with his friends and his girlfriend. And women were shouting at me and Russell was shouting at them. And then they were shouting at Russell. This little group started shouting at them as well. And one of their girlfriends started crying um, because it was all very aggressive and uncomfortable. Um, my first ever gig. Wow. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Sorry, um, and I came off thinking, God, I love this. <laughs> I love this. There's something about it, isn't it? It's just magical, and it's and it's so good. It's so nice to know I've got a rival as well in Bristol. <laughs> you have, yeah. I know. One day, what well, I think I'll. Keep I'd like you to meet to him. <laughs> He's a very very nice man. He's a very nice man. <laughs> And yeah, loves his comedy, loves his Yeah, comedy. yeah, yeah. Well, what's what's not to love? Um, what do you like to talk about on stage? Do you have any specific themes or any uh, any um, recurring themes or anything like that that you talk about? I don't know, really. I think I'm a little bit different than, than most of, not all, but most of the people you will have met because I do so much comparing and I do so much warm-up. And... One of the reasons I do that is because I know what's inside my brain. I know what my thoughts are. I really, I've always enjoyed much more talking to other people and, and finding out about them. Um, so, so, so you prefer comparing and warm up to solo routines? I think so. I think so. I mean, I can, I do them, and I and I headline for gigs, and I've done Edinburgh shows. I never enjoy it as much. And when I'm doing it, I always try and play. I always mess about a little bit. Partly that might be something to do with the confidence in my material. But but actually, over the years, I just enjoy it. I just yeah. enjoy... And I'm I'm aware... I've got some good stuff, and I, and I like writing stuff, and I, I've got a fairly good comedy brain. Um... But I know what I enjoy, and I also know what I'm good at. And and what I'm good at is is playing, is uh, sort of messing about, is talking, um, and that's the stuff I'm much more interested in. And over the years, like I definitely was filthier. I definitely did a lot of blue. I'm really good <laughs> at filthy stuff. Um, um, what is what is what is particularly impressive watching you? Uh, which I've done many times. I've 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 watched you do routines, and I've watched you compare. Uh, is your joy of doing it on, on when you walk out? You know you're going to have a good time because you're so enthusiastic and joyous for it. And certainly when we went to the last leg uh, TV recordings, which you compare. You had that audience every time in the palm of your hand. It was it, it, it's wonderful to see, and 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 we're in such a good mood when the recording actually starts, which is how it should be. I do, I do love it. There is definitely a joy. 
There's also something a little bit um, less joyous about it, <coughs> which is I take joy in... I'm, I'm quite a pragmatist. I like making things happen. It's one of the reasons I like being a, like being a compare, because I like being able to get the audience in the right place. I like yeah. being able to... And, and so uh, there's definitely a joy. There's definitely an art. There's definitely the creative. It gets my... My juice is flowing massively. But there is also just a really practical, pragmatic, I love being able to get the job done. I like I take great satisfaction in just being I'm very much a central midfielder where I get the ball and then I pass it to people who <laughs> can do better things with the ball. But you still need that person to get the ball. And I yeah, and I love that side of it. Well, I've seen you many times on, actually on the last leg, because you play different characters to help out the sketches and everything. I do. Plus as well, um, uh, I always go along to the last leg with my dear friends Ken and Jill, who I met on the front row, or always be comedy. And, they've, and they said to me, I'll come along to the last leg. And to have nicknames for everybody in the in the audience as well, they're known as Mr. and Mrs. Ken, which is Ken, and, Mi <laughs> Ken and Mrs. Ken. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 that is wonderful. That 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 every time they go, they're going to be recognised and and all the rest. It's 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 a wonderful um, uh, a, a build up to the show and and. There was a there was another example with you where um, we we went to um, it was uh, up the creek very recently and you were comparing there and there was some um, people in the crowd who were um, should we say inebriated and um, you you very you very calmly had them in your sights but you but you weren't gonna explode or get rid of them or anything like that they were i think they were eventually removed but the way that you did it was wonderful because you, again you have to make it comic yeah and again it is that thing i do really like practicality of it i do really yeah. like going well i want to make sure that because i like i said i'm a comedy fan like you i'm a comedy fan and yeah. i i really like the idea of being able to make that show as good as that show can be, and um, and that's and that's why I do those things. And over the years, I've learned different skills and different tricks, and also still learning and still working out kind of uh, you know how to do these things. But at heart, um, I like getting the job done. Yeah, good man. So, um, what do you think makes a good comedian? Um, there's basically three things, and it's uh, everything that is uh, written in comedy, uh, comedy courses, comedy books, blah blah blah. Everything just boils down to three things: work hard, be funny, don't be a dick. And yeah, it really I totally is. Agree. Um, <laughs> and it and, and it it is totally, uh, it's totally that. And you can sometimes get away with two of those three things but the two you have to be if 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 you're not funny you have to work really hard and you have to be an incredibly nice person if 
You have to be, you have to work really hard, but you have to be so naturally funny to get away with being a dick. Um, and you don't always get away with being a dick. Um, and if you, yeah, and and if you don't work hard, you can be incredibly lovely and sort of get away with it. But <laughs> every comedian that you will have spoken to, every comedian that you will have seen has, and whether they are super famous, your Al Murray's or your Joe Lysitz, or whether they are people who just work really hard and people know them, but maybe they're not famous, like, like this guy here. Um, every single comedian, and then also all those comedians who, who are just brilliant circuit comedians. When you've been going for a while, all you have to do is work incredibly hard at it and gig everywhere and do everything and just be nice to people. And if you do those things, because if you're nice to people, you then get invited back to do other gigs. And if you're a dick, then people won't want to gig with you. <laughs> and um, if you're not funny, by working hard, you can learn how to be funny. But also by being nice, you can make friends with people and chat with them. And mm. being nice is about listening as well as talking. Um, and, and so, so yeah. Listening is really important. I think listening is uh, is key. I would ask anyone listening to this podcast now to um, tell me how many years you worked in the school and uh, what job you did in the school <laughs> and uh, the name of that venue and how many seats it is in Carlisle. Um, <laughs> If you don't listen, um, What's the you point? don't learn stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the magical things about this blog is um, supporting not only popular comedians, but also brand new comics and, and various different degrees of their career. And it's wonderful watching comedians grow and develop and I think listening, like you say, is half of the key. You know, um, I totally agree. I think I think um, you've got to be funny. That's that's that that's the main thing. But I I also look for originality, um, and I look for um, uh, if they're very endearing and are very nice, as you say, because you want to you want to be comfortable in their company and go for a beer or whatever afterwards with them, you know, and, and, and if they're, if they're very direct or very frank, that's also good as well, because they can um, talk about whatever they want as soon as they go up to the microphone, you know, as long as the, as long as the crowd are on their side, then they're away. And you're you're very good at that. You're very. This is what's going to happen, and then you will go into a wonderful routine or audience banter. And you're very very warm on stage. I've noticed that as well. Um, absolutely. Also, uh, eleven years in a school and the fire station in uh, <laughs> Colour. Just so. Um... <laughs> 
Just so I say it. Well um, done, mate. Well done. <laughs> the noise next door played the fire station. Anyway. Um, Thanks for listening. <laughs> what, what, you, uh, what you were saying there. So years ago, when I first started comparing, in Bristol <coughs> uh, called The Comedy Box. Still there, run by a bloke called Steve Lamb. Excellent gig in Bristol. And uh, I gigged with... Australian, who actually I gave her her first ever gig in the UK, uh, a woman called Kitty Flanagan, who um, is an amazing comic, was fairly famous in Australia, um, doing some sketch stuff, and then came over to the UK, did some stand-up, got to a certain level over here, did really well, and then moved back to Australia again and continued sort of being successful in a telly mainstay in Australia. She got some amazing stuff and was a brilliant, brilliant comic. And I gave her her first gig because Adam Hills was doing a gig for me. It might have even been one of his first previews of Go Your Big Red Fire Engine back in the early 2000s. And I needed an act for a couple of weeks' time. And he went, oh, my friend Kitty is currently in France, but coming to the UK soon. Um, I think she can do it. So I messaged her when she came and did the gig anyway. A couple of months after that, we were doing a gig together. I was comparing. I didn't go down very well. She drove me home. I wasn't. I didn't have a car at the time. I was living with my mum and dad. Anyway, she drove me home. And as we were getting out, I was like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. I said, oh, I didn't feel like I was very good today. I said, the audience liked me, but they didn't think I was funny at all. And she went, it's fine. She went, that's absolutely fine. She said, you'll get the funny. You'll work out the funny. She said, but but c- some comedians try so hard all of their life and never get the audience to like. Um, she said, and if you can make those, those people like you, she said, then the funny stuff will come. And I think she's absolutely, totally she's absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You much. still need to work hard at it. You still need yeah. to work hard at the funny. And I think the people who don't, think they can rely on just being nice and being likable they have to build they have to work on the other stuff um but mm. if you do work on it if you do build it then you will then you at least you've got that foundation of funny at the beginning very much so i, t- I totally agree with that um when you walk onto the stage are you nervous do you do you get nervous beforehand how and, and if so how do you cope with nerves no, I don't. I don't actually. The only time I get nervous is if I'm doing something brand new. If I'm doing a new type of show or maybe something I haven't done for a while. So um, sometimes I might get to do warm up in front of an arena, 10,000, 20,000 people. And if I've not done that for a while, then I will get nervous. Um I, I weirdly, I get nervous. To, so I've got a, a gig in Bristol on a Monday night um, that I've just set up. It's called Pushing It. And it's deliberately for newer comedians to do longer than they should, to get them used to the <laughs> idea of being on stage for slightly too long. And I've deliberately set it up where it's not an easy gig. It's upstairs in a room. There's only 20 people maximum. Um I don't worry about the lighting too much. I don't worry about any of that stuff too much. Um, and 
if I've got a new and so I try and have a new idea every week. And bear in mind that I prepare and headline and do the warm up for some of these major events. Um, nothing petrifies me more than <laughs> doing a brand new piece of material that I've thought about in my car on the way to the gig. When you can look in 18 people's eyes and not able to use the tricks that I can do with the sing-alongs and the nonsense and the nicknames and the, and it's just like, this is the material. Uh, that's that's the petrifying bit that that is that is fascinating i i can i can give you an example for me um other than the other than this blog um the most creative thing i've ever done is the poster behind me on top of my the play. Child, which is the which was the play i i the, app, I, the uh the applicant the applicant yeah i wrote the play uh and my, my just showing off that i I was just showing off that I was listening again. By the way, my, well done, friend. thank you. My my <laughs> my, uh, my friend and myself uh, appeared in it. I uh, um, it, it it's basically um, about it's basically about me coming down from Carlisle to London. I've got a very successful girlfriend in London, but I've never had a job, so I've so I've never had a job interview, and each. Uh, each section of the play is me getting better at job interviews. And my mate who played all the interviewers is very good at accents and everything. So I ran out and it was monologue interview, monologue interview, because I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm looking around and there's the audience and I start chatting to them. So I wrote about five or six pages of uh, monologue and the first night I did this, we, we ran. I, I ran out, and I forgot the words. I was like a rabbit in headlights, and I was petrified. I was thinking, "What am I going to do? We've had ten weeks of rehearsing this." And as soon as my mate came on, it, it, it was perfect. But I, but I've never been. I'm hoping to resurrect it because um, uh, I originally wrote it for the Edinburgh Fringe, but I've never really gone round the houses there to 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 do it but um we put it on for comic relief and i got nearly two grand for it we did three shows amazing it was amazing and uh the funniest joke if i can say was his name uh which was uh I called him norman oliver hope because the rejection letters i was a dear no hope which was quite nice <laughs> oh that's <was> nice <laughs> So maybe one day, and and you one mentioned day. before about Lee Evans or something like him, he would be amazing playing this little innocent with the interviews and everything. Anyway, um, uh, let's move on. Um, how do you remember all your routines? Do you, if you're doing a solo set, do you have them written down on your hand? Do you use notes or anything like that? No, I, I'm I. I write on stage and I don't really make notes of anything. Um, say to people, I was just thinking this when you were talking about the play, about how how rubbish sometimes I am at remembering stuff. I'm really good at remembering the words and the jokes within my sets. I'm sometimes rubbish at remembering that those 
those bits actually exist. So if someone says to me, oh, do you remember that bit you used to do about that? I'll be like, oh, God, yeah, I've not done that for <laughs> and then I can, And then I can do it pretty much verbatim because stand-up for me is very much about repetition and it's about just keeping on doing it and doing it and building and baby steps. And when you have that repetition, um, it's it's easier to remember stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because that stuff goes in your brain and stays there. Right. Um, so would you say that having asked those last two questions, would you say that as soon as you pick up a microphone on stage, as you walk onto stage, the nerves will go away and you're in total control of that audience. You're there to make them laugh. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say the nerves are even there much more before I go on. I just like yeah. to be me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also wouldn't say I'm ever I I'm ever in total control of that audience. Um, <laughs> but you never know what's going to happen, I suppose. Yeah, but it's like, you know, you can be the best plate spinner in the world, but, you know, best juggler in the world and nothing is precise that's the joy the best thing about stand-up is that it's not a precise science yeah so no one is ever in perfect control of everything and things change and that's why we love it it's and it's also it's an art form based on failure like it should be about failure it should stand up is something that should not work um, it's an incredibly arrogant thing to do to go everyone thinks they're funny and everyone thinks they're the funniest one in their group and we're going out on stage telling people to laugh at us like that's just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ridiculous what a stupid thing um, and, and, it, and so it shouldn't really work and yeah. so when it doesn't work that's really nice because that sort of uh reinforces what how we feel and we're like oh yeah yeah no it doesn't and so it doesn't work and therefore i should do this to make it better and that's what stand-up is it's about getting better that's so good i i i i say to a lot of comedians who've been on this podcast um my my guess is it's all about experience you have to experience a bad gig to become a better comedian would you agree with that a hundred oh a hundred percent a hundred percent like you have to you learn more from the bad ones um but also you learn more if someone is still doing the same shtick uh in exactly the same way um for two years three years maybe four years if i'm being <laughs> uh generous um, because they've not worked hard, like if they're yeah. doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same way, it's because and 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 basically, and that's not even a criticism of their work ethic. That's just a criticism of the fact that their stuff won't get better. Because if you're still, if you change your stuff around, um, yeah, or every eighteen months, your new stuff is always better than your old stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so every time you change it, it gets incrementally a little bit better. And so conversely, if you never change it, or you never change your attitude, you never learn new things, your stuff won't get incrementally better 
and therefore it'll just stay the same. And you know, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You see, you see, you're the sort of comedian I I can't ever imagine you having a bad gig, but 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 you must have had bad gigs as well as good gigs over the years. Oh yeah, I mean, especially doing sets and especially misjudging it and doing the wrong thing. It tends to warm up and. The reason that I see so much and get so much warm-up, but especially the warm-up, yeah. is, like, I am almost, almost, uh, like, I, I am almost a sure thing. And I say that in the sense that no comic, no comic, no comedy is a sure thing. But in terms of, and, and that's just based on statistics, based on how much warm-up that I do and how often the audience have been in the right place with the producers and the director yeah, yeah. Um, and all that. Like, I am almost, you know, I'm a good 97% sure thing when I do, uh, when I do the warm-up. But I've had to get there and... and I've had to get there by, you know, being 60% good and then 70% good. And, you know, that means that there's 30% that were absolute dog shit. And those things do, <laughs> you know, those things do happen. But you, they have to happen because that's how we learn. You you mentioned before about the BBC New Comedy Awards. Tell me, yes. tell me, tell me more about those. And what's your view of comedy competitions in general, you think they're a good thing? No, I really don't like them. Um, I say that as someone who is a producer of one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, um, I just uh, so okay. I don't think it's possible to compare every comedian with each other um, because different comedians have different aims. Different audiences want different things. You can have a room of 100 people and you can have 10 acts on and everyone will like act. And do you know what? Maybe 70 of them will love one act and maybe one of them will really love another act. But the love that that one person has for that one act might be stronger than the love that the 70 people have for one of the other acts and yeah, and yeah. difficult to compare styles and sometimes people are better over longer sets rather than five minutes some people are um uh some people's stuff doesn't have as immediate reaction uh immediate impact and then two weeks later you're still remembering that particular joke or that particular words some people develop in different ways and some people are great when they start and they're not so great some people takes a while to get going there's so many reasons that comedy <laughs> competitions uh are pointless and then um a consultant producer the bbc new comedy awards and basically what that means is Phil McIntyre, the company who who make it, I know quite well and have done quite a lot of warm up for them over the years. Yeah. And they they wanted they had they got the the rights to do the BBC New Comedy Awards, 
And they wanted someone who understood stand-up to be involved in it. And because they knew me, I got involved. And what they wanted from me was to make it feel like stand-up. So they didn't really want it to feel like a competition. They wanted it to feel like stand-up. They wanted it to feel like a showcase. They wanted the new comedians to be able to perform in ways that they would perform while getting better. And have a sort of a mentor type person. And um, I love it. Absolutely love it. And the competition element has to be there for us to get that on the telly. You the think it help, do you think it helps a comedy career winning a competition? Um, yeah, maybe. Sometimes, yeah. not everyone. No, but yes. And also it, it can help you if you don't win. Yeah. So no and yes. And just being involved in it. So yes and no. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we, people who uh, who didn't even get to like the showcase stage, but their clips were so good but not right, that have ended up getting agents. We've had people get to the showcase stage but didn't get to the televised regional final bits who have ended up uh, supporting comedians on tour. Um, we've had people get to the regional final bit and not win, but a telly person has looked at them and gone, oh, wow, I really like them. Um, there, is no, there is no win or lose in this. No, like, no. There are people who who if I particularly like their clip, and there's like three or four judges in every stage, and not everyone is always going to like everything, but if I like them, then I've gone to someone, oh, I really like that person, you should, yeah, give, yeah. You should give them yeah. a gig. And, and, with, and unfortunately, like the way the telly programme is made, it's nice to have a winner. It's nice to have a winner on every regional final it's nice to have a winner of the whole thing and so that's the top of it that's the peak that's the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. iceberg that we can see but the whole process stretches below the telly and and i love that bit and i love the opportunities and the support and the yeah. stage time and the making new friends and the adventure i love all of that brilliant brilliant um you're you're a fantastic compare. I've seen you compare in, uh, in 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 few comedy clubs, and you've been wonderful. Tell me more about how you get the how you got the warm up gigs in the TV recordings. How 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 do you go about doing that? Did was it was it um, was it a promoter advising you to do this, or did you no, physically go up? So what happened was remember this there was a tv show called kings of comedy it was um it was basically uh comedians in like a big brother house it was comedians meets big brother um, <laughs> and it was filmed in bristol and good people in it it was a a combination of the experienced and yeah. the new so and this was 2004 Andrew Maxwell was in it. Boothby Graffo was in it. 
I love um, him. Yeah. Jamie Godley. Brilliant. There were some really, but also people like um, Stan Boardman and, you know, some of the others. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And basically, what they wanted to do was essentially build a comedy club in the TV studio. Yeah. And so came to watch me to uh, do a gig. Um, sorry, I'm. Are we all right? I'm there. I'm there. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I'm turning myself on, as it were. <laughs> I might. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Fantastic. Let's hope that this doesn't change any sound quality. Oh, I'm messing around and I shouldn't mess around, should I, Rich? All right. Um, so, they were making this show called Kings of Comedy. They wanted to build a comedy club in a TV studio. There was a gig that I used to regularly compare. And so they came to watch me at the gig. They, they phoned me up and said, can we come and watch you? And they watched me compare this gig. And I told them sort of how how it would work and then a couple of days later they phoned me up and went oh actually we need someone to do the warm-up for the live show it was hosted by russell brand would you come and and do the warm-up for the live show they said it's a bit like comparing and i went yeah and that was 2004 sort of wow. october 2004 um and yeah that was the start of it so, so you must be one of the go-to warm-up people for the TV recordings because I used to go to a lot of them. I used to go to Parkinson all the time. I used to go to Jonathan Ross. I used to go to loads of them, and uh, I. But I only really got to see you do the last leg. That, and of course, that's one of the biggest shows on TV now. But um, uh, I'm. I was just fascinated as to how how you get each one um but it, but it's like a rolling stone effect isn't it? a little bit so i did yeah. um so i did kings of comedy and that yeah. was for a production company that was for endemol yeah and then um and that's sort of the comedy side of it uh zepatron and then yeah. a couple of months later zepatron made a thing called fuck you um, in the May, nice title. Of 20, <laughs> yeah, and that was hosted by May of uh, twenty oh five, and that was hosted by David Mitchell, Karen Taylor, um, Justin e. Collins, and people like Frankie Boyle on it. Yeah, sort of some of their first telly: Frankie Boyle, Alan Carr, Paul Foot. Right. Um, there was some Ruth Bratt. There were some amazing people on it, and then. The same production company in the October 2005, Endemol, they made a show in the same studio in Bristol because these were all in the studio. And I'm pointing because it's literally 300 yards away from my house (laughs) was where the studio was. Um, I must go to Bristol. I've never been. (laughs) Oh, you must. You love it. But but that studio is not there anymore. It's flat. Right, but in the same studio, about six months after they made Fuck You, they made a new show that they wanted the warm up on, 
and they weren't sure about it because it's a bit of a weird thing hosted by a guy who used to do a lot of telly, um, disappeared for a little bit, and no one was 100%. It was a very confusing show to explain. Um, and that was October 2005, and that was Deal or No Deal. Wow. Wow. And we were booked in for, I think, six weeks at the beginning. So, um, wow. And I think it was something like, I'm going to say something like 50 episodes, something like that, 58. Um, we ended up doing 3,500. So you were the warm-up on Deal or No Deal? I wasn't the warm-up for the very first couple of weeks. Wow. Um, they they got some other people. Wow. Um, and then they weren't 100% happy with all of those other people. And then uh, Muggins came in. Um and stayed there. For Good man, that's what a what a what a gig. So to yeah, speak. no, it was that's crazy. amazing. It was one crazy of the biggest it became, on TV. It became a phenomenon. It was yeah. you know massively yeah. unexpected and yeah. Um, so how during did... that time, that was very much like uh, in my wankier moments. I see that as my Beatles in Hamburg experience. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. <laughs> because we were doing we were doing three three or four shows a day, five days a week. Wow. You know, we were um I was constantly on. I was, you know, on and off. And Noel Edmonds um is an unusual man. Uh <laughs> but in terms of TV presented, in terms of that, one of the few actual geniuses that I've worked with. Right. Um he was phenomenal at his job and knew telly inside and out. And I have so a, I have I have an amazing fact about Noel Edmonds for oh, you. Oh, hit me. I his love his auntie or grandma, I can never remember, lived in Carlisle. And as I was growing up, he used to come in with his helicopter, fly Did in. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we always used to look, there's Noel Edmonds. Yeah. He's he's well, yeah. I'm sure it was either it, it was either his auntie or his grandma. That's really funny. And, and uh, yeah, that's that that that's the only fact I know about him. It's a good fact though. I like it. He um, <laughs> yeah, and and I just did that for a long time. And then while doing that, I started picking up other shows along the way. So very early on, I did the IT crowd. Oh, brilliant. Um, and realised that sort of I could do sitcoms. I did uh, the last ever uh, episodes of Vicar Dibley when she gets married. Oh, lovely! Um, yeah, yeah. I I then started picking up other game shows like Pointless. Um, Good man. And... So, so I mean, it's a you, it's a wealth of experience in in TV warmer. Yeah, I mean, basically, what happens is every show has. A production manager who is the money person, a couple of producers who sort of look after the content, uh, floor managers who look after the floor, yeah. obviously the talent who, you know, your Jimmy Cars, your Adam Hills, your Richard yeah. Osmonds, and each of those people end up going on to other shows. 
but also each of those people end up having friends who work on other shows. And so, yes. so what happens over what's happened over the years is that a production manager from Deal or No Deal will go and work on another show, or um, Noel Edmonds will want me to do the warm up for his shows. And if I do two or three different Noel Edmonds shows, there might be two or three different production managers who then might go on to two or three different shows. And yeah. the producers might then become commissioners or might, you know, and so it's all this kind of uh, so is that, all this is, different it, thing. Is that how The Last Leg came about when I, when I saw you compare that? Yeah, I would say so. I I don't know... So that's made by a company called Open Mic, and I've done quite a bit for Open Mic. Um, but also, so I didn't do, I didn't do the warm up for the Paralympics in 2012 because there wasn't a real audience. Mm. And then we did a pilot for the last leg, um, and it was literally a pilot. It was what they call a TX pilot, and a TX pilot is basically so a non TX pilot is. You're trying to work out if a show works, so you do a couple of episodes of it, and those episodes will never see the light of day. That's a non-TX, and TX basically means <laughs> transition, uh, transmission. So yeah. a non-TX pilot is, we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work, we'll never talk about that ever again. <laughs> a TX pilot is maybe a show that is a one-off of something, um, and if that works, then they will make more of them. Right. And the last leg was sort of a TX pilot because it was basically they gave the boys to do the chance to do like a review of the year. It was, um, and so they did it in I think it was like December two thousand and twelve, and then uh, very quickly they wanted, and so they asked me to do that. And then when they got the series, I ended up doing the series and I've been Brilliant. there ever since. Brilliant. Well, it's well, it's one of my favourite TV comedy shows and it was a privilege to go and watch it being recorded because, as I say, you make you you make the audience will them on and, it, and, and they're so good at what they do when they come on. Let's let's move on. Um, I, I am very privileged to be able to go to the Edinburgh Festival every year. Yes. Um, and I've, I've, I've been going since 2005, and I go for a week, it's my holiday, and I see about 50 shows, 50 shows in the week. And I'm shattered when I come back, but I've had the most amazing experience, loads of my friends and everything go. Um, tell me about your first experience of the Edinburgh Fringe, because I keep a lot of... Uh, flyers and programs and everything, and you you keep you kept cropping up in solo shows year after year, and I'm thinking that that's that's Mark Olber. He's still doing the shows. It's extraordinary your work ethic on that as well. Um, have you ever seen the Woody Allen film Zelig? And basically, yes. I'm sort of the zelig of comedy, I think. I'm always kind of, <laughs> I'm always around and about and nearby. All yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> um, so uh, me and Russ went up in 1999. Russell was in the semi-finals and then the final of So You Think You're Funny. 
And then I'm going to say it was 2001. He was in the finals of the BBC New Comedy Awards, actually. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, won that year by Alan Carr and uh, Rob Deering, Justin Morehouse, oh, Des great. Clark, Jared Christmas. Yeah. Uh, we're all in the final. Um, 1999, his So You Think You're Funny semi and final. That was Josie Long and David O'Doherty, Jimmy Carr, Karen Taylor, um, Spencer Brown. Uh, there were some amazing people around at that time. And we went up in... I bought a car. I bought an old Y-Reg VW Polo. <laughs> and me and Rush drove up to Edinburgh in my old Y-Reg VW Polo. It started making noises when we got there. We parked it, <laughs> left it on a side street for a week. And then when it was time to drive home, it was still making the noises. Then, then there was a clomping noise and the noise stopped. So we thought the car had just fixed itself. <laughs> um, and then the car, the alternator had fallen off. And so the car just parked, just rolled into the hard shoulder. <laughs> um, probably near Carlisle, actually. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise um, me. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then the AA had to fix the car and, and get us home. Um, and then I went up every year from there. Um, I did my first show. Russell did the Big Value in 2003. Yeah. Then I did the Big Value in 2004. That was a package show. Then I did the Comedy Zone in 2005. Yeah. I was comparing Matt Green, Izzy Sutty, Russell Kane. Brilliant. And what then I did my middle? first show in 2006, uh, Happy Accidentally. Then 2007, I did Say Something. And then 2008, uh, I did a show where I walked from Bristol to Edinburgh. Um. And and then I've been going up with other bits and pieces since then. Um, the thing about Edinburgh is, so so this is how Adam Hills describes my stand up and my warm up stuff. He describes me as doing joyful involvement. That's what Hills he describes me as, joyful involvement. He says, and. It wasn't until he said that when I was like, oh, shit, no, that is what I do. I'm just like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, let's go there. Oh, that sounds fun. Brilliant. And there's nowhere in the world better for joyful involvement yeah, than Edinburgh. I totally agree. And I think in 2000, and it might have been 2002, we were in the Peasants Courtyard and we were chatting to Ross Noble around a table. And he, he was doing a show in one of the big rooms. And at the end, he would have a guy in a mask dancing on stage. Um, and he asked he asked us if we wanted to do it. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and so I just ended up on stage with Ross Noble just dancing in a mask. Um, How fantastic. I... Uh, in 2003, I did Edinburgh. I went up to Edinburgh for a week. I was on crutches because um, I dislocated my leg, um, which was actually the story that I used for my first show in 2006. Um, and all the 
all the comedians would play football and I would play football as well. But that year I wasn't playing football because I was on crutches. So yeah. I just sat down watching them play football, watching all my mates play football and ended up chatting to a guy who was also not playing that day for some reason. And um, it turned out he was Jermaine from Flight of the Concords and they were in Edinburgh <laughs> for their first ever Edinburgh show. Wow. Um, and so I ended up going to watch their Edinburgh show and they forgot their posters or their posters hadn't been delivered. Um, and so their first year wasn't very well attended. Um, and uh, and it's always about, I'm rambling, I'm ranting on a bit, but it's, it's always fine. for me about putting yourself in those positions. Yeah, yeah. It's about chatting to the stranger at football that you don't know. It's about saying yes to Ross Noble when he wants you to dance on stage. It's about <laughs> and it's not a it's not a career thing. It's not a um um it's not a progression thing. No. It's just wanting to get involved. And I'm I yeah. grew up as a working class kid and the the idea of being able to get involved in the shit in anything yeah. is absolutely baffling to me. For anyone that you're a little bit older than me, but for anyone who grew up in the late seventies and eighties, um, will 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 totally understand what I mean when I say we didn't think stuff like this would happen. We didn't think stuff like this was, especially when you live outside of London, when you live in Carlisle or you live in Bristol. Yeah, very true. Like, like for working class people, you never think that that these are things that you can have a go at. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like for me, meeting Jermaine was not about going, oh, you're going to be famous, or oh, you're going to be in superhero films, or you're going to be in Flat the Concords. For me, it was genuinely like, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a Kiwi before. <laughs> like, like <laughs> literally, like. <laughs> It's Literally it's so true. As that. It's so so true, and I think and I think that's why I, certainly I keep going back to Edinburgh year after year. Um, certainly, I it's so true listening to that answer because there I was aged about ten, fifteen, something like that, and I'd be I'd be watching Minder and Del Boy on the TV. And I'd be I'd be watching Michael Caine films. My favourite band have always been Madness, and there I was wanting to come down to London. And I never ever thought I'd do it. And I've spent half my life here. You know, my 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 mum worked in an antique shop. My brother makes adverts. He runs an advertising agency now. And my dad, um, uh, my dad's legacy was uh, he was the um, president of Nalgo. And with the three unions, uh, he helped create Unison. So what a legacy that is. You yeah. Know? And and certainly at the school, um, they use Unison as the main union. So there I was, I used to be sitting in behind the reception and these people would walk in and they'd recognise me for my dad. And then, and who would, who would have known that? You know, it yeah. was extraordinary. It's, but, just, um, it's just the... It's just experiences. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, what yeah. Kind of, That's what life is. It's just... Yeah, and yeah, I, I yeah. often think of comedy like Lego, basically. Just yeah. like, <laughs> like we've got this massive Lego set that we can yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and certainly loving something like comedy, you're you're in the best city for it because you can go to a comedy a different comedy club every night of the week. And when you mentioned before about Carlisle, it's fascinating because Carlisle has cottoned on to this and is developing more its comedy uh, world, if you like, more Good. people right there, you know. So um, so it's all it's all fascinating listening to what you have to say. Um, let's move on again. Um, uh, with all the um, COVID years, all, all, all the horrible times that we had during COVID, did you do many online gigs? Did you like no, no, I didn't. I, 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 I started an online panel show with a producer right. called Simon, right? Uh, called called Who Said That, and I really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, um, I did a few charity things. Um, I, I run a project called Betty Laughs, and we did one of those online, which I loved. I didn't really enjoy. The live gigs online. I didn't. I didn't hate them. I just didn't enjoy them. And I think one of the reasons I didn't enjoy them, like when we finish this conversation, I'm going to go and have my Sunday roast. So am I. Which is lovely, and I've had a nice morning chatting to you, and that's been smashing. And then I'll go and have me roast. If I was doing a gig during lockdown right now, and I was, you know trying to make people laugh and do all that. When I press that leave button, um, then, then then that's it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. funny, 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 bye. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that was always yeah. my problem with them. They always felt a little bit empty. Yeah, yeah. With, with me, um, during the pandemic, uh, um, I, I, thankfully they were there, but when they first started, um, I used to go to Always Be Comedy. I used to go to Happy Mondays with Sean James. And I used to go to The Irishman Abroad with Jarlath Regan. And Boothby Graffo later came on and, and did a brilliant hour just playing his guitar. But certainly with something like Always Be Comedy, there was never any audio when it first began. So yeah. I used to sit here and just laugh at four walls. And I thought I'd going to be taken away. It was like, what's going on here? Because they can't hear me. But then the comedians that could that that were confident doing it online, they they brought the audio in and they could chat to the audience, they could time the jokes and everything. But I'm a hundred percent with you. Thank God, live comedy is back because absolutely. I, and I and I started I started doing outside gigs as soon as we could. Like I yeah I found spaces to go to and and work yeah. them all out like immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about having a few beers on a Saturday night with your mates and then going into a room and you're in the moment and you sit there and you go, right, make me laugh. And whoever's on the bill, it's just the most magical thing seeing something yeah. Um Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Did you grow up with lots of comedy? Yeah, I did loads and loads. Like I said, I loved Lenny Bruce, Bill Hicks, yeah. Mort Sol, Dick Gregory, Woody Allen. Loved lots of the, the black and white people, I suppose. Um, I loved Flanders and Swan. Oh, I loved brilliant. The Goon Show. Yeah. Um, I loved a lot of that stuff. Um, 
Steve Martin, Robbie Williams, like yeah. a lot of the people that I discovered uh, when I was growing up. Um, and then going into people like Bill Hicks, Kevin Day, Mark Thomas. Um, and then when I started doing it, all of my favourites, oh, Billy Conley, obviously, and then all yeah. my favourites kind of became people that I know. So um, Daniel Kitson, who... Uh, everyone talks about as their favourite comedian, he's and the reason he is is because he is amazing. Have you seen him? I've seen him twice. Yeah, I saw him at the stand in Edinburgh. He was incredible, and I love I love comedians who just take one word and run with it. And he is a perfect example of that. He's he he he, he was amazing, and 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 you're totally in with what he's saying you're totally involved with what he's talking about and then suddenly there's a it goes off on a tangent and everything it's fantastic absolutely fantastic yeah no he's brilliant i love tommy tiernan yeah um i love uh and then just people who are my friends who i think are just astounding comedians john richardson and russell howard um Acast, the Gamble, Adam Hills. Like I love all these people for lots of different ways. Rosie Jones, Tom Allen. Like I'm really lucky that I get to to work with people who I who I like as people who I think are who are who are also brilliant comedians because they share that they share that interest. They share that yeah yeah that, that love of it. Um, if if you're um... Like like me, do you go to um, a lot of comedy shows as a member of the audience? Do you know what? It, it's funny. I you wrote that question. You you sent me an email with these questions. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I did what every comedian uh, does, um, <laughs> which is I looked at them and I didn't really look at them. I I opened <laughs> the I opened the attachment to show Willing and Manners. Thank you so um, much. And then paid, no, then paid absolutely no attention to what you were asking. Um, and any comedian who who denies that is a liar because that's exactly. <laughs> what we do. And you know that's what we do. Um, and I and this was the only question that popped up at me, and I realised that I don't that I don't really do it anymore. I used well, to. I was, I was I was an obsessive about going to gigs, but. Um, I suppose I just don't have the time now. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're on a bill of acts, would you stay and watch all the acts? Yes. Yeah, 100%. All time. And I'm yeah. usually MC. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, if I can, I, I absolutely will. Yeah. I'd say 100%. I've got a bit naughty recently because I have started, <laughs> like, I, I don't get to gig very much. And then, if there's like, if there's some football on the telly and that football don't start until eight, <laughs> and I can get to the gig at half seven and do five minutes of new stuff and then nip off. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit like that with Carlisle United. <laughs> yeah, I am. Well, oh. I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, <laughs> very much like that at the moment. Um, but uh, so yeah, but but normally because I love like I love it, I love watching it. But I'm a, yeah. I'm a bit of a. Um, and obsessive about it in terms of what people are doing. And I, I don't always, I don't enjoy, I don't, it's one of the reasons I love Kitson so much is because 
I can watch Kitson as a fan. Yeah, and also yeah, musical yeah. comedy. So um, uh, the Concords or Chrisards, who are new, who I really like, I can just watch them as a fan. Yeah. Um, but when it's other people, I do watch them with my thinking face on, thinking about toppers and thinking, yeah, yeah. does that inspire me to do anything? So mm. um, it can be a bit, it can be, you can go out as a punter and then just end up working because you're working in your head. You <laughs> the reason why I asked the questions, those two questions, is that um, there's a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away. And I wrote about 25 comedians who have either passed on or I haven't been able, I haven't had a chance to see. And uh, top of the tree for me was Morecambe and Wise. Uh, I saw everybody else except them in the 70s. But Dave Allen's in there, Bob Monkhouse, um, uh, and and goes on and on and on and on. Um, and there's also another section in the blog uh, which lists testimonials from comedians, loads of comedians and family and friends. It's funny you mentioned James Acaster because he, he's written my favourite testimonial. He's, he, 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 he simply wrote, um, uh, if I wasn't a comedian, I would happily sit next to Richard Gill all day and make him laugh. And I just thought that's wonderful. <laughs> but it's just... It's just magical going on this comic journey because there's so many memories. And that's yes. why the blog and the podcast exist. Um, I've so much enjoyed talking to you. You've been an absolutely wonderful. I loved guest. it. It's been so great. I mean, we're, we're, we're a couple of chatterboxes. We could uh, I could talk to you all day. I really could. Um, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to mention uh, is there any uh, uh, what social media are you on i am i'm sort of all over everything i think i mark john over on instagram i'm mark over on twitter Betty laughs is the big charity stuff that i do and we're really excited about next year because we're we're going to a few different cities and building it um for the for a while and i love those gigs and if you if, if you are going to come to bristol then then Pick a day in January and you'll be able to see. Uh, but 18th of January, if you want to come to Bristol, Wednesday right. the 18th of January is the one you want to come to because we do a, a thing in a place called Wapping Wharf, which is loads of little restaurants all in the same place. And we do about 15 gigs in one night there. And wow. everyone sort of runs from gig to gig. Well, um, I do that. I might well do that. The only other thing I would say is. I love, I love comedy. Sometimes we forget how important the non-comedians in comedy are. And, and we sometimes forget the venue staff and the, the agents and the promoters and the mums and dads of the comics and also the fans, right? People who love it. And, and that's what's so great about this podcast and your blog and everything like that, because it's... Because, like, without without everyone else, like, comedians are, we're, we're idiots. And <laughs> we wouldn't go anywhere or do anything or have anyone to watch us. We'd just be people sat chatting. And, and the whole world of stand-up is incredibly important. And I, and I say that because 
I watched 1,200 clips of stand-up this year for the BBC New Comedy Awards. Wow. And not all of those 1,200 people are going to be successful or even keep doing stand-up. Um, but they've sent in those clips because they love stand-up. Yeah. And there are other parts of the stand-up world that are amazing. And sometimes people focus a little bit too much on on these bell ends who get up and do it. But they're so the the world is so interesting and, yeah, and yeah. can be and is, but can be better. So diverse and so interested and so creative and and a space that's a really safe space. I always say I do a tweet every year in September when I say to people, if your kids are students and they're going off to university and you're a little bit worried about them, uh, maybe they're a um, maybe they're a loner or maybe they don't always fit in with everyone. Um, send them to their local open mic scene in that in that city. Send them to their gig because th- these gigs, the the smaller gigs, can be some of the most supportive. Lovely, warm. Uh, I know a hundred percent that if someone went to uh, ABC comedy and they'd never been to a comedy gig before, and someone went, "Oh, that bloke over there, the one with the loud laugh, go and sit next to him." Uh, <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> you, would, you know, um, um, and you were, and and they would be welcomed, and I think that's and, yeah, and very we much forget so. we forget that because we we start talking about how to get those paid twenties, and we start talking about agents, and we start talking about stadiums and TV shows and sitcoms mm-hmm. and films, and but we we do sometimes forget that at a basic level, it's a space where people can just meet people, and I think that is well, uh, yeah, lovely. it 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 certainly has given me an enormous amount of confidence going. And, you know, yeah. which, which 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 can only be a good thing with the it's, rest it's of your life. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, thank you so, so much for those kind words. Ber- oh, thank you for having you. me. And hopefully, um, hopefully we will see each other in the flesh soon. Very much so. I'm looking forward very much to seeing you very, very soon. I'm looking at the gate in January. I'm going to go and have my... Uh, my dinner in a place called. <laughs> I don't blame you. The Moorend so <laughs> Sprout, which is a pub I've never been to before. I've never heard of before, but I like the <laughs> name. The Moorend Sprout. Well, I bet that they sound fantastic. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rich, take care. Have a lovely rest of your day. And, uh, and you. Yeah, I'll see Thank you, soon. you so much for your time. Bye. It's been wonderful. No Bye, bud. All the best. Thank you.